You know, when I spoke to Eldon Tlapo, I call him Uncle Sunny Boy uh, for, for, just so that you understand this. It's, it's something I've done since I was two years old. So for me to do it now, when I'm 30 something odd years old, is something that I'm used to. So you will bear with me. And he said to me, he wanted me to come and speak under a very, it's, it's, it's quite, a, it's, it's not a difficult topic. It's, I wouldn't say it's difficult. I would say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a topic that is, you know, it's challenging. There's a difference between something that is difficult and something that is challenging. It's challenging in a sense that it, it has, <laughs> it's quite a, a very interesting process, of which the process I have not yet completed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so my aunt, Mom Klapo, did a Sabbath school here this morning, and, uh, you know, she, she raised very key important factors that leads to us understanding really what it really means to talk about a relationship and some people not being meant to be alone and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, yeah, well, some ideas were, were quite solid and they were valid and some contributions were quite sensible. But how I would want to approach it, I would want to take a different approach altogether and really dig deep within scripture and try and understand the origins of, of, of um, being, being, uh, being in a relationship with someone and living amongst the communal society where you have a different type of interaction with different various types of people. And, you know, I thought the example, the best example would always to revert back to the Bible, to Jesus Christ. And I want us to open our Bible today to the book of John chapter 14 and identify very key important factors about this thing. Um, yes. Uh, right. I'm reading from verse 1. Um, by the way, those who, I'm, I'm reading from the New King James, I think. Those who are using paraphrases will understand that most paraphrased Bible will always give you a very clear understanding of a particular narrative. I'm reverting back to John chapter 14, particularly in this context, in the context of a relationship. And if you are reading a paraphrase, your title there should be Jesus comforts his disciple. If you are reading from a paraphrased Bible, right? Jesus comforts his disciple, whether it's NIV, whether it's New Living Translation, whether it's whatever. Jesus then says to his disciples in a form of a dialogue, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Second verse, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Underline the word I would have told you, right? Underline that sentence. I go and prepare a place for you. Underline the next sentence as well. Uh, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Verse number 4, and where I go, you know, and the way, oh, and the way, 
you the way you and the way you know, where I go you know and the way you also know um let me drag it a little bit further and go into chapter 5 and in and, and, and verse 5 and he says Thomas said to him as we continue with the dialogue lord we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way jesus therefore replies i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me may god bless the reading of his word in jesus name amen let us pray father in heaven we are thankful for the opportunity that you have granted us to come before your throne lord at this state where i am i need your help and i need your assistance there is nothing that i can do or say that can actually motivate me included as your child standing in front of your congregation to look up into Jesus as a dynamic figure to change lives and influence all the aspect of human existence therefore i ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you cover me behind your veil of righteousness lord and you forgive me for where i have wronged and i pray that lord use me as an instrument lord of your band that plays the harmony that says what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear in the name of Jesus Lord we pray amen right there's a particular psychology is a psychology psychologist others would argue and say he's a is a is a philosopher who became a philosopher who was used as reference to many psychological writing in time his name was sigmund freud Sigmund Freud once explained something very very interesting about relationships uh, society and the cohesive the cohesive nature of families and etc he once said the classifications of modern day living are simply circumstantial so in understanding this he therefore says that we must bear in mind that the socio-economic struggles of our people really affect the interrelations that they have within their society so this sets across the clusteral barriers in many forms and it this also makes the families not to be cohesively um, intertwined as he put it the way they should be particularly because of the fact that the accumulation of wealth and the accumulation of knowledge sets apart the different various classes within the family so he would say the reason why families would not get along is mainly because of the circumstances that they face right and he would also explain the fact that no it is therefore with the openness of opportunity to others who are more fortunate than the others that the reason why the families are not necessarily intertwined the second paragraphs he therefore writes and he says this he says therefore love and the concept and the notion of love ceases to exist in a family setup right and he says it does not only end in a family in a family setup but it also manifests itself in a more set in a more communal setup where the neighbor would not get along with the neighbor the family member would not get along with the family member he says it also moves from a communal setup and it also goes to a more organized way in a corporate environment where when you are in the office there is no longer empathy for each other 
It is just a mere engagement of trying to get work done. But, 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 so he says, therefore, because of this growing, this growing uh, 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 phase of what you call materialism, he says it utters and it separates and it breaks down and it reforms and revitalizes a new concept about relationship that exists outside of the Christian phenomena. So I read another writer, Nixon. Nixon would therefore justify Freud's writing and he would say that, in essence, what Sigmund Freud is trying to say is that now relationships are not carved by love, but by reliability and communication. So he says, Nixon therefore says, two people who were born to, uh, people who were married, right, together, they believed at some point that they were born to be with each other. There comes a breaking point at some point in life, right, where it is no longer about love. Therefore, we should redefine the whole concept of the word love and not look at it from a biblical historical perspective, but look at it from a more structured social perception. It's based on perception and no longer on biblical perspective. Which means that the Bible, therefore, does not introduce a very, how can I put it? Oh, there's a word that I'm looking for. Uh, this is the word I'm looking for. It says that the Bible does not bring a very pragmatic, idea of the word love. That's why love needs to be redefined by the social status quo. In South African terminology, I would like to put it is that you don't get a beautiful woman, as some guys would say in the street, unless you've got money. It's all about what? Monetary. And then you would say to them, but chief, no. You see, that's, that's how you view it. <laughs> that's how you view it. That is your view. The background I come from says that you need to... And then he would say, okay, your background is a church background. But let me tell you, even the church background has embraced this concept of... This new concept of love. Even the church background, this new concept of love. Because for you to get respect in a particular church as an elder, you must have. It, you, we can't argue that. You understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? But then, but then there's an ideological shift amongst those who are reformers. Then they would say, no, we cannot allow materialism and the social status quo to begin to determine some of the factors that really guide our livelihood, right? Today you worry about your son, and you say, hey, the cost of living is so high. Will my son be able to maintain a good livelihood for his wife should he find a wife? Because I don't think there's a father or a mother who'd want their own child, who is a son, to marry a particular girl 
Because this girl somewhat has this uh, misconception that I'm marrying this guy because this guy comes from a well-off family or because he's doing well. Right? Because therefore the foundation of the relationship is not legitimate. Then therefore there's a problem there. So which is why our parents are very strict in guiding us as to where we should go, how we should do it. Because of the social status quo. Right? Now there is another argument that is raised to say that uh, it also affects communities. You see it in your own neighborhood. When a child from the corner that used to grow up with your children around there comes driving a brand new car that is worth so-and-so and he is staying somewhere, right? He is suddenly seeing as this figure in the community where all the children would gather around and watch him. And they would look at him as the idol of the, of, of, of the community, right? You'd find that there are no... That there is no, there's not a proper value system of which this boy was raised under. He found that the conditions of his upbringing were quite difficult. And therefore he was unable to have these core principal values that we are raised with as Adventists. And you realize that at some point that this boy had to grow up fast because the foundations of love were not there at home. Might have been the absence of the father. Right? It might have been the absence of the mother as well. Maybe he was raised by his grandparents or the grandmother alone. Right? There, there, there was no clear structure that really could start to de- dictate a life for this man under this set of value system. Therefore, whenever he comes back to the location driving this big car, every girl will be after him. And then we wonder why our own daughters, by the way, would go after a young man like that. This is how the influence starts. This is how it starts. And then we wonder and we say, When your little sons come back home, they say, Hey, mom, this is a society we live in. This is a society we live in. Is this a new disposition? Is this new? It's old. Is it new? It's not new. It's not new. Which is why Sigmund Freud, someone who stayed sometime in the 1920s, would say, we need to rewrite the script in as far as now defining love is concerned. says we need to rewrite the script, right? And says that now love is all about accountability, reliability, Communication. No, let's forget that one now. We'll come back to it later. Reliability, communication, and what? And unity. This is how he defines it. And then he says that what do these three mean? It means these three means that when you make an agreement with someone, You stick to the agreement irregardless of your other commitments that you have during the day. Right? 
That's what it means. So he's saying that when you go back home and you are married to somebody, it does not matter where you have been. You are not accountable to them to say, no, at 2 p.m., I had a meeting with so-and-so. At half past three, I had a meeting with so-and-so. Just as long as when you get home at half past seven, he's there. That is important. That is reliability, accountability, and etc. That's what Sigmund Freud says. He says, let's redefine the status quo. All right. Within the same status quo. Let's go back to the Bible here. Right. Now, I want us to understand that uh, according to Aunt Exen, her presentation, she started by saying, when you are born in this world, you are never, you are born alone. Right? When you are born in this world, you are born alone. Okay? But you are born alone into this world, not to live alone. Right? So, so, so another man would say, no man is an island. So you, you need to stay in this structure where there are people around. Okay, whether it's a family, whether it's an it's a immediate family, extended family, community, whether you're at school, whether you're at varsity, whether you're at work, you are in a part and parcel of a society. Okay, so we understand that. Hence, Jesus Christ himself when he came to this world, he had to be born in a particular family. Because he can't go against the norm. When he grows up, he grows up in a particular family with certain values. When therefore he becomes a man, he goes on a quest for the work of God. He can't work alone. He works with 12 disciples of which they don't know him. But he knows them. When you talk about the divine side, but that's, that's, that's a sermon for, for, for another day. Therefore, he does, you see, they don't know him, he knows them. But they grow into knowing and understanding him. Right? And what is the, you see, the mystery about having these disciples is that these people are socially disgruntled based on the position that they have in society. They are fishermen, they are laborers, and all of those things. They, they, are, they, are, they are living from hand to mouth. These are people in society who generally are not respected. Jesus seeks for those type of people, right, to rewrite the script. Okay? Because, I mean, we were discussing, Usisi just told me, Guti, this, this social status quo is not new. It was there in the time of Christ as well. So Jesus Christ identifies these men to rewrite the script. Because according to how he understands it, he says, I qualify the unqualified and those who are not seen as someone who are peculiar in society, I will make them peculiar for giving them a very peculiar message. Because you see, you need someone who has been through something that is terrible, okay, to understand what it means to redefine the script and rewrite it. Which is why society will favor those who grew up very under very tough and intrinsic circumstances, then they grow to be very successful. 
And those who are comfortable, they grow up. I wouldn't want to say nobody's, but they become slow in their progress. You understand? These, these are the norms of society. Therefore, Jesus rewrites the script. He does not do it alone. He does it in a communal setup with 12 disciples who have issues, who are carrying lots of weight and burdens because Jesus starts by doing away with the negativity. <laughs> negativity will cloud your mind and disturb your judgment. Jesus breaks the cycle. So, according to John, the gospel writer, who was obsessed with the wisdom of Christ, writes a philosophical analogy about a synodic gospel that tells a story about Christ. He begins, in the beginning, he says, Christ was the word, the word became flesh. And then he moves and he says, that therefore, Jesus becomes the son of man Eminently, who was there in the beginning. So John says, therefore, if we say that in the beginning there was love, what does it mean that somewhere in antiquity, under the notion of love, God created the planet? Was he obliged to create the planet? No. But it was under the notion of love, meaning Jesus as the... <laughs> God help me. Jesus as a true manifestation of the love of God. Therefore was there, prompted the Lord to create this planet. Right? And then, the nature of sin then changes the activity of the world. Then Jesus comes back again and uses 12 disciples to rewrite the script. Okay? Okay? Because, really, then he says, I look for the lame, the blind, the weak, the lepers. I don't look for the peculiar people. Then others would argue and say that, no, the gospel is for the poor people. <laughs> you, you know, I've met so many guys who are so-called doing well. It's such, it's very shameful. <laughs> The amount of the lack of substance that they have. They don't have substance whatsoever. Whatsoever. All they know is what makes them and gets them to the position that they are at. It's all about accumulating wealth. Because the thinking is that the more money I have, the more I can buy love. I can buy this. I can buy that. You can't buy salvation with money. Salvation comes from Christ. Which means that you must embrace love according to the context of the one who is the manifestation of God's love in the beginning. Right. So Jesus comforts his disciples. Now he says... In this text, in this text, is how we understand love in modern day. Jesus Christ says, right, he mentions the two winds of Christianity, right? His death at the cross, number one. Number two, his second coming, right? As the two wings of Christianity, he communicates them directly in the context of this text to his disciples. As he begins to rewrite the script, this is what Jesus says according to John. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. What does that mean? A troubled heart. Can I take off my my jacket? Thanks. (laughs) A troubled heart is very problematic. You would wonder why an individual looks so good, he is doing so well, but he does the most unbearable things. Every time you see him, you can't really relate when you see what you see in front of you and what you hear he gets up to. Then you wonder why, right? It is because he's got a troubled heart and sometimes he ends up in prison and you, you wonder what's wrong with this person. The most common problems of social ills is not only the strands of materialism. The strands of materialism They are a manifestation of a symptom of a problem that started in the beginning, which is a troubled heart. Because in the absence of love, you can never be okay, as profound as it is. Which is why Jesus says to his disciples, inasmuch as you are sinners and you might not sin, allow not your hearts to be troubled. Because when when your heart is troubled, you can't even accept salvation when it comes in your direction. Therefore, Jesus changes the script and says, allow not your hearts to be troubled. Believe in God. Why in God? That he has got the potential to forgive you. And then he says, believe in me. Why in me? That he has got the potential to intercede on your behalf. Then he changes the script. And then he says, then Jesus changes the script and he says, I'm rewriting the script. And as I rewrite the script, I rewrite it in this context. He says then, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. But it's both figurative and it's both literal. The figurative part is that Jesus says that when I am in my father's house and I plead on your behalf, there is room that where you are in the world, you can grow spiritually. Therefore, that room that is there is a figurative room that you are growing spiritually. As you grow spiritually, you rewrite the script because you have embraced love. And love comes from the Father. And the Father and I come from each other. I am the product of love. That's what Jesus says. Then he moves on. He becomes reliable, accountable, right? And he makes a commitment. He says, if it were not so, Right. And then he flips the script. Then now it becomes literal. Then he says, I will come and receive you unto myself. Now we're not dealing with the issue of salvation anymore because we've identified that love begins with Christ. It ends with Christ. Right? Therefore, for us to move from point A to point B, it must be based on Christ. Therefore, I do not want to hear when people say, because that is a lie. Oh, I, I do not also want to hear, I do not want to hear the ladies say that if you are not beautiful, then you can't get a good husband. By the way, who, what is the ultimate definition of beauty? Who says someone is more peculiar to the other? Because under the parambulas of love, 
We are leveled by the love of God. Therefore, we are all beautiful as ladies. Therefore, anybody qualifies to be anywhere. That is why the plan of salvation was that we grow here spiritually. Then there's a question that is raised again. Before I sit down, this is the question. This is the question. There's another question that is raised again. Secure in faith. You won't live long. Can I answer this one after this? Then he says, I am the... So therefore, where I am going, you might be there too. Then he says to Timothy, therefore I am coming back. Then Timothy now compliments the dialogue because Timothy is one of those guys that are very thorough. They want practical answers. The one practical answer, he says, how do we know the way, where we are going? Christ says, I am the truth, the way, the light. I am the life and the resurrection. Right? Now, which scope of study is Sigmund Freud and materialism selling to us? We use their expectations, right? And we put Christ according to their definition. And we've got John chapter 14. We've got the plan of salvation, the death of Christ at the cross, the Jesus who's interceding for us. Then we also have the soon coming king. And then we are given a scope of resurrection and a promise of resurrection as well, where death will be beaten down. Because let me tell you something. They don't know what to do with their money when they are dead. Because my father will leave it for me and I will finish it in two years, something he worked 30 years to have. But let me tell you something. In the presence of Christ, he's finished it for me. And today, I would like to inspire the church to say that. (laughs) Let us redefine the scope by trying to embrace Christ in every structure of interaction that we have. Be it a best friend, right? Be it a cousin, be it a brother, be it a sister, be it a mother, be it a potential wife, be it a potential husband, be it a husband, be it a wife, be it a grandmother, a grandfather. If Jesus is not the central figure of that relationship, those foundations will cease to exist. Therefore, there is no relationship because Jesus Christ rewrites the script and he says, I am not looking for what flesh and blood can please, but I'm looking in the inner souls of a human being because salvation is a spiritual phenomenon, but its manifestation is in the flesh. Therefore, if it can't happen, if it can't happen, then what are we living for? I would like to say, I'm not living to be wealthy. I'm living to be saved. That is the true meaning of Christianity. Let us not forget this as well. Everybody is striking his own route towards his own salvation. Which is why Magashwa Shono Wanwetu, Siakala for two weeks, Smabe, Malolo Santo, Masaskatil, or during the week, Masaskatil, Besasek Pelil, Sesakubang and Pil, Bob Shabang was on born, Bob Untapu was on born, 
ulwana ubabumozo ngibona sisasaqhubeka ngempilo ekwanthu uzibanibani eh yayiphlunga kodwa indaba yakhe after 3 years esimkhohliwe right because that person you can't carry the weight of their salvation no matter how much money you have the day that person dies you don't know whether you'll see them again all you can do is to donate money for a good funeral that will end in a couple of hours but let me tell you something if you have gone to that person and say Jesus Christ saves and is coming again you have told them everything because when they go and sleep they sleep knowing that they will resurrect to glory One Chinese billionaire by the name of Jack Ma in closing said something very very significant. He says the structures of socialism and capitalism have their hearts dwelled in the council of Nicaea. When Constantine wanted to engage the western community of Europe to say let's embrace christianity and let christianity be the central religion for all our political establishment but then he says the misconception about this thing is to say that communism or socialism came out of the system of thinking that jesus christ is an illegitimate son of god he is a failed liberator that's what the communist would say that he failed to liberate the children of god from roman governance but according to how these guys on the other side understood it was that they would reference Christ when he says my kingdom is not of this world therefore Jesus's kingdom has its heart in the spiritual but the manifestation of physical but the physical is not the only point of reference for the salvation of Christ therefore he says that within the structure of the love of God the physical is perishable which is why liberation does not make sense so allow people to live in segregation under the rule of god in their hearts that when they overcome they overcome both in the spiritual first then the physical it will manifest Amen. and the man who rewrote the script and told the story and challenged the council of nasia was our own liberator oartambo who was a devout christian now i want to say to you guys if tambo could have could could really allow Jesus to work through him to give us independence i'm not talking about matthew mark luke and john people who are too far fetched from our reality i'm talking about or tambo oliver reginald tambo i'm talking about that guy it is a lesson not only for ourselves as christian but even for the members of his organization that have lost direction to say the structures of the organization was started in christianity which is why it became successful so let me tell you something let's leave politics for now let's focus on jesus jesus christ must be a central figure of your operation your modus operandi from day to day then the lives of people will change so let's remember to rewrite the script may god bless you <laughs>